The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so much uh, that we can be here this morning. Thanks for the privilege of gathering together and worshiping. Uh, Thanks for this place to meet. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning. Um, God, empower Randall as he speaks. And Lord, uh, yeah, just help us to be attentive to whatever it is that you have for us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, Grace City. How you doing? If I haven't met you, my name is Randall, uh, lead pastor of Grace City, and uh, we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts today. Uh, We've been starting uh, out this year, uh, jumping back into Acts, and we've been looking at the early church and what the early church uh, really focused on, what it was about. And so this has been helpful for us as we've been thinking about Grace City and, and where we're at right now and, and who we are as a church body um, and really what it means to be a Christian. Um, so we are in Acts 4, 31 through 33 today. And I think this is a very timely uh, text for us um, as we think about uh, what's going on in our nation, our world, and even as Christians, really, how do we live out the gospel in our lives And so the message today is this, an unshakable community, an unshakable community. Now it's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and um, there is uh, a black scholar named Nancy Hill, and she wrote an article in May of 2016 from the Harvard School of Education. Now she's a professor there, and she wrote this article called Can we have Martin Luther King's dream without his faith? Can we have his dream without his faith? And here's what she said. She said, many people who have no belief in God at all are passionately committed to racial justice. So do we need Christianity today to realize Martin Luther King's dream? Or is it just a historical matter of interest that he was so shaped by his Christian faith? It's undeniable that the reverend tied his own vision and purpose for fighting for equity and justice, not just for the power or for the poor and African Americans, but for the oppressed throughout the world. To his understanding of the true meaning of Christianity and the ministry of Jesus Christ, MLK and true Christianity charge us to embrace those who are different from us in ways that we are not inclined to do so under normal circumstances. Is there a worldview that offers a better foundation for this than the model of Jesus, who helps us trust that we can embrace those who persecute us and through humility and love change the hearts of people? She said, perhaps, but I haven't seen it. You see, what does it look like to have an unshakable faith? Because there were many times as we think upon and really meditate on the, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where the world around him wanted to shake him. 
wanted to press him down. When he was killed, he was one of the most hated men in America. And so we need to think about why did he live out of this place of saying there are injustices, but I see it in scripture. How do I live out my faith practically? You see, it was his faith that made him an unshakable person. And today, for us, if we want to be an unshakable people, it's finding the bedrock foundation of our faith in Jesus. See, we, what we need to understand today is that the world in which Christianity was birthed into was a pluralistic, racially charged, divided society. It's not uncommon. And in many ways, there are similarities to what we experience today. But what we find is that in this society, it was fertile ground for God to work through unshakable believers, real believers that loved Christ. And so where do we find our courage to live out our faith like that? Well, our text again is Acts 4, 31 through 33. And what we see here is this unshakable community of believers who are coming together. And here's what we find as we, we break down this text today. Is that their life was founded on an unshakable foundation, an unshakable identity, and an unshakable story. Foundation, identity, story. And so first off is the foundation. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now what's happening here? Well, the believers, like we looked at last week, are scared. They're anxious. They're fearful. They've just been told about the persecution that both John and, and Peter experienced. And, and they've been told that they'll receive that same severe punishment for sharing the name of Jesus. They'll be imprisoned. And so how do they respond? Well, first, it says, when they had prayed. When they had prayed. And so their first response when hearing News that could really shake them was that they prayed. Oswald Chambers said, prayer is the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. What is prayer? It is a prayer it is relying on God and talking to God and not relying on yourself. You know, a lot of the times what we do is we talk to ourselves. Don't we? We have conversations with ourselves. We have ideas about what we think and, and how things should go. And so we're talking to ourselves all the time. But what prayer is, is a, a focus off of self and onto God. It is talking to God about the things that are going on. 
And so we find this group of believers that believes that God is more powerful than the, the thoughts that can overtake their minds. Again, the fear, the anxiousness, the disappointment. So they lean into prayer. But second, it says, the place they were gathered was shaken. Now, I think for many of us, we, we want to kind of skip over that part. We're like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? There's a shaking that's happening here. But we, we can't skip over this because what this is, is this, this is God tangibly showing these believers that he's there with them. He's there with them. Early church father, John Christostom, said, the place was shaken and that made them all the more unshaken. I want you to think about that, right? Like, like the place was shaken, but that made them all the more unshaken. What we find in scripture is that there's this word of, 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 about God. It, it's, it's the glory of God. The glory of God. And, and throughout scripture, what we see is that the glory of God, what does that mean? It, it's the weight what is glory? It's, it's weight. It's, it's, it's an ability to carry the weight of something. And so, so glory is, 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 is saying that, God, you are more weightier than the things that are happening. And so what we find is that they're, they're, the, the earth is shaken when the weight of God is pressed on it. Basically, God is saying, I'm more weightier than the issues that you're facing. And so the... God is meeting them right in the, the, the issues that, that are going on in their world. And God is saying, I'm present with you and I'm more glorious than the thing that you're giving glory to. I'm more weightier. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go deeper. But the third, it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean that they were filled with the Spirit? Luke talks about being filled with the Spirit throughout Acts. And one of the aspects of being filled with the Spirit is, is what Jesus told his disciples in John 16. Now, what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen, he will glorify me. Remember that word, glory. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Spirit do? What is the primary job of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, it's to make Jesus more of a reality to you than he is right now. A, a, more of a reality to experience him. J.A. Packer calls this the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's message is always this. Look at Jesus, see his glory. Listen to Jesus and hear his word. Go to Jesus and have life. Get to know Jesus and taste his gifts of joy and peace. What did, the, what did the believers need as they were going through difficulty and trials and challenges? The gospel and, and Jesus needed to become more palpable to their hearts. Need to become more real. You know what happens through life, right? We go through life and it's just not that, it just kind of feels like distance. 
but what they needed was the 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 Holy Spirit of God to to point out that no Jesus is is actually better and more able to meet you right where you're at than anything else. And so what's happening here in this passage as we think about it? Well, first in this passage, the earth's foundation was shaking because it was coming in contact with a power greater than itself, God. I remember I was sitting at the uh, dining room table. One day I was on the phone. I was having a, a passionate, like, you know, like conversation. I can't remember what it was, but, uh, you know, there was this uh lamp that was like literally hanging in our dining room area and I'm talking and then all of a sudden I go up and then the sh- it just shatters. I knew it was going to happen at some point, but that day, like I'm on the phone, I'm talking and then all of a sudden it just shatters all over my head. And I'm like looking at my wife, like what just happened? My head just went through our uh, dining room. Uh, lighting fixture there. And, um, and what happened was that, that the reality of my head, like the strength of my head was stronger than the, the glass <laughs> that was sitting above me. And what we see here is that the reality of God was stronger than the trials and, and things that they were facing and, and God was meeting them again. I want you to think about God for a minute. It says in Judges 5, 5, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. That's Judges 5, 5. I love going back to the King James Version. It says that the mountains melted before the Lord. Melted. You think about the power of God. And when we think about a foundation, Right? to build your life on. We talk about God like as this distant thing that you're just building your life upon. He's the rock. He's all of these things. But he's so much stronger than the foundation that we are standing on in our lives. God was able to empower the cowardly to become courageous in the midst of severe persecution. Right, this is the power of God breaking through. And so will we find that foundation in the sturdiness and the power of that foundation like the early believers did? But the second point is this in verse 32. Now, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. Now I want to focus this week primarily on the, the, the designation of the distinction of, of who these believers were, because what it says about this unshakable community is that they were one heart and soul and also that they had everything in common. One heart and soul, everything in common. If we're to look at the church the early church, how is it that they could have this type of unity? That, that type of unity, 
Because what we see today is people say this is what Christians are. We see a fractured people. Fractured believers. How is the early church so unified, one heart and soul, everything in common? What's the root of this? It's that Christians, and the, the early Christians believe this, is that they were given a, a new identity. They were given an identity. See, we live in a world right now that's all about self-authorship, that I create who I am. I create my identity. But what we find in Scripture is that your identity is received from God. Your identity is received from God. And so we've created all of these ways to separate ourselves. We'll say, well, this is who I am. And these are all the differences. In many ways... We bought into the, the social structures that want to divide us. But we find that God has created and you and me an identity that we receive. From the very beginning, he said, I create you, male and female. Created God, God creator. From the very beginning, there's a creative identity that he gave you. But also, there's, there's a new identity that he gives you when he says, I've adopted you into a family. You're now brothers and sisters. It's not just in theory, but it's actually a real thing. Like, that God has brought us together, one heart, one soul, and that we are brothers and sisters as Christians. See, this is shocking to the world that the believers lived in then, and it should be shocking to us today. It should be shocking to us today. This is a long quote, but I think it's really helpful from uh, Tim Keller. He says this. He says, the most exclusive claim. So we found it in Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven which man should be saved but Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else alone but Jesus so there's this exclusive claim. He says that this most exclusive claim, Jesus is the only way to God, led to the most inclusive community the world had ever seen. When the Greeks looked at the early church, they saw rich and poor mixing it up. And they said, oh my word, we don't do that. We don't let the cultured, sophisticated, educated people put in with the uncultured, unsophisticated, and uneducated. But Christians did. Because identity didn't have to do with your pedigree or your accomplishment. If Jesus had been a teacher giving us the law only by which we were to live a good life and earn our salvation, our identity would have been based on that. And you wouldn't have people like that together. Christians kept those two kinds of people together. The Greeks looked at it and they had never seen anything like it. The Jews looked at the church and they had never seen anything like it either. They didn't mix the moral and the immoral. They didn't put in religious people with prostitutes, but the church and Christians did. Why? Because, they, because when you're sinners saved by grace, your identity is based on something else. Do you know what that's saying? Right? Your identity ultimately is based in what Jesus has done for us. What is it that unites a group of people, one mind, one soul? It's that they believed 
that Christ saved them. That they all had the same lot in life when it came to sin and needing to be rescued. James 1, 9 through 10 says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. What's this saying? Is that there are socioeconomic divides. But what brings Christians together is that when the, 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 the brother who's lowly boasts in the fact that he's a child of God, lifted up, has the riches of God, that no one's better than another person, but we are all equal in God's sight. And that somebody who's wealthy in the, the world's eyes, you know, what, 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 what is my humiliation that I'm a sinner? Doesn't matter how much I accumulate in this life. My identity could never be built on what I do, but what's been done for me. It's a brand new identity. And what that does is it humbles us. It humbles us. You see, when it comes to us, like we need humility, (laughs) friends. We need humility to come to the table and say we need Jesus, every one of us. Lastly, there's a story. Here's what it says. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. See, what was the story that defined this community? Was it their personal story? No. It was the story of Jesus. Right? Every one of us have stories. And all those stories are valuable in the eyes of God. And all of those stories do matter. I want you to know that today, that your story does matter. But we have a story that's above every story. And that story is what God has done for us. See, what can happen many times, and I think this is a trap in our culture, is this, that I can live in a way like God is here to join my story. God, I'm living out my story. You can join along and bless me. (laughs) Or we can say, no, no, no. I'm joining God's story. God, I want to live out your story. Please, those places in my life that are fractured, where there needs to be a new story, please redeem the story. Because what it says, and great grace was upon them all. You know what fills in the gaps and the places of our brokenness and our stories? It's when God's grace meets us in those places. It's when he heals those places. It's when you can look back on the story that you're living right now and say, you know what? There's actually a greater story because of what Jesus has done in my life. And as the apostles were out sharing, what they did was they, they shared the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Their focus was on telling people that Jesus is alive, that he's real. And so there was an unshakable story that they could stand on. It was the story of Jesus. 
See, in all of our brokenness and all of our fractures and all the things that are going on in our lives, and I know that there's a lot, it's that I need a story like Jesus's that I can, I can look to and I can find freedom in. And so just some takeaways today as we think about this text and really how this applies to us. The first one is this. Call out to an unshakable God. Call out to an unshakable God. My challenge for us as a church family is just how much are we praying? How much are we calling out to God in desperation? I remember one pastor saying that the, the, the enemy of, of prayer is not busyness like we want it to be, right? We say, well, I'm just too busy to pray, but it's actually self-reliance. It's not busyness, it's self-reliance. The reason I don't pray is because I just trust in myself so much. Or I believe these lies like, well, just God, God's just too busy for my prayer requests. And so I'll take it from here. And that, that's not the invitation of what prayer is. It's the invitation that to lean on God's power, God's resilience, not my own. Dave Gibbons the pastor says, give me a team of people who know how to watch, wait, listen, people who fast, pray, surrender, rather than always trying to take control. These are the ones developing sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. They understand how to let God guide them through life. Do you remember what we talked about earlier? That there's a, there's a, there's a level of like God's guidance when we looked at John 16. Friends, we need guidance. We need wisdom. Many times we think we got the answers, but I need guidance and wisdom. And God says, I will give that to you abundantly if you ask. And so my challenge to our church is to be a people that pray to a people that, that, that seek God. Because what we do, we usually we're like, oh yeah, we'll do the prayer thing, but we, we never seriously pray. And friends, it feels like times right now are very shaky. Very shaky. If we put our trust and our full weight on this world, it's going to crush us. It's so much. So much right now. And so my call for us as a church is to be prayerful, especially over these next coming weeks for our nation. We need to be people of prayer. The next one is commit yourself to God's mission. Commit yourself to God's mission. Commit your life to this. There's a man named Mark Green. He's an executive director of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And he gave a speech on human potential. And here's what he said. He says, 98% of Christians who are not in church paid work are on the whole, not equipped or envisioned for mission. 
He said 95% of their waking lives, not on mission. What a tragic waste of human potential. Here's what I want to say. The reason that we are a church that equips you with the gospel for everyday life is this, that we believe that you're on mission. God has uniquely designed you and created you in a way to live his mission out in the world and to live out the testimony of Jesus out in the world, in the real world. You know what our world needs right now? To see real Christians. To see people who have convictions they're not just because of themselves, but because they, 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 we are under a higher power. Because when that doesn't happen, then people will hijack the name of Christianity. They will hijack the name of Jesus and they will use it for their own selfishness. We need Christians who are living out the gospel truly and living out on mission. God has created you in a unique way to live out his mission. I love it right now. I'm in this group with uh, probably 10 or 12 people um, that we're just studying about how you can do redemptive entrepreneurship. Redemptive entrepreneurship. And basically what it is, is is living out as Christians, not just tagging on Jesus on there, you know, like I'm going to just do a business, but put Jesus on there. It's like actually living out in a way that lives out the gospel. I think it's so helpful. Praxis is the study. It's, it's free online. You can do it in a group, but, but it's so helpful to have these conversations because we walk through the world and we don't realize how much our faith affects everything we do. Everything we do. And so my hope is that as believers, we can really lean into this time and, and, and grow as disciples and realize that, you know what? Your, your work is just as important as mine. I'm just living out my calling. I want you to live out your calling. God has a calling for you to live out his testimony out in the world. It's a beautiful thing. So will we commit ourselves to God's mission in the world? Why am I here? Why am I breathing right now? How am I living out my mission in what God has given me to share that with others? And so let's end today reminding ourselves of the gospel. You know, where, where, did, where did these disciples start? Well, they started fearfully. They started... Uh, anxiously, but then it says that they were shaken, right? Sometimes the thing about being shaken is it's like it's a wake-up call. I think in many ways we need a wake-up call, right? Personally, we need a wake-up call. The church needs a wake-up call. So what happens when you get shaken. But where did they end up? They end up filled and they un- ended unshakable courageous because they were filled with God. How could they get there from this place to here? Well, ultimately is this. They, they, they knew that God was shaken for them. What do I mean by that? God was shaken for them. 
Well, in Matthew 27, as Jesus is on the cross, in verse 54, He's on the cross. He dies. He, he, he says, it is finished. The work is finished. There's a centurion standing there next to Jesus. And here's what it says. Here's the, here is the, the account, the historical account of what happened as a centurion, Roman citizen, heard and saw what Jesus had done. He says this, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that, that the Son of God His life was taken for my life, for your life. That no longer do we have to be shaken by what's happening, but asking the Lord to make us unshakable, courageous people, because Jesus faced down death for us. He was unshakable in the face of death, so much so that the earth shaked when the Son of God gave his life. The earth quaked when the Son of God gave his life for you and me. So no longer do we need to live unshakable or live shaken, but we can live unshakable lives because of what Christ has done. Find your strength in him today and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to live courageously. We want to live fearlessly, not out of pride or arrogance, filled with our own thoughts or ideas, but we want to live courageously to speak up against the things that are wrong in this world and to do it in a way in which Jesus has taught us Lord, may we live out truly what it means to be Christians. May all forms of false religion, idolatry, sin, be exposed and condemned so that we can live out the true and pure gospel as Christians that love you. I thank you for those who've gone before us in the book of Acts and those not too far in our distant past like Martin Luther King Jr. And I think on this weekend, Lord, as we think about those who've stood courageously for you and made things better in this world, I pray, Lord, that you will help us as believers to die to ourselves so that we may live out the gospel truly in a way that honors you. Make us an unshakable community of believers, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. 
If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.